Main Bands. I'm your host, Olivia Ladd, a music journalist in Nashville, Tennessee. The premise of this podcast is I find a friend, musician, or other journalist in the Nashville music scene, and we discuss the history, discography, art, and influences surrounding our favorite cult bands. Bandsplainer is part of the We Own This Town network of podcasts based in Nashville. You can find more information at weownthistown.net. Bandsplainer is available for streaming on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. To keep up with the latest, follow Bandsplainer on Twitter at Bandsplainer. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy your the podcast where we explain bands. Today we are recording the season finale of season one of Bandsplainer and we're doing a band that is extremely important to me personally that I'm really excited to get into, Bikini Kill, the pioneering Riot Girl band from the 90s. And our guest today is Beth Cameron from Forget Cassettes and some other projects. You can go ahead and introduce yourself, talk about what you do in Nashville and musically. Okay. Uh, I'm Beth and I um, used to have a band called Forget Cassettes um, for about 10 years and I have a new band called Black Bra and um, that that's what I do. <laughs> nice. Um, so I, I'm excited about this band for so many reasons. Um, they were kind of like an introduction to feminism for me and just a big band throughout my late teens, early 20s. So I'm really excited to kind of give them a spotlight because I feel like they're very, very underrated, uh, even though maybe like people in music journalism or people you know, self-proclaimed music nerds may know about them or people who were around in the 90s, unlike me, probably know about them. But I uh, I just think they're really important to go in depth on. Um, so I'm very excited to do that. So a short synopsis of Bikini Kill is that they formed in Olympia, Washington in 1990 and ran as a band until 1997, each kind of following uh, uh, projects that were an offset of Bikini Kill after that. And they are considered pioneers of the Riot Girl movement a, among a few other bands like Bratmobile and uh, Heavens to Betsy, etc. So the original members that formed in 1990 are Kathleen Hanna, who was the front woman. And if you're not familiar with that name, you, be, you may be more familiar with La Tigre or Julie Ruin, which are her other projects, which we can we'll talk a little bit about. And then Toby Vale was the drummer. Kathy Wilcox was the bassist, and Billy Karen was the guitarist, and probably seen in the news recently that Bikini Kill is doing a mini reunion tour in, I think, London, LA, and New York, and so they have a new guitarist, which is Erica Don Lyle, for those, um, which is also a great timely plug, um, the fact that they are reuniting for the first time since the 90s, which mm -hmm. is really cool. So if you're totally unfamiliar with Bikini Kill, you've probably heard the song Rebel Girl because it was on Guitar Hero 2. No. Yeah, which is how I discovered the band in youth group playing Guitar Hero. <laughs> That's how you discovered Bikini Kill. Yeah, so pretty in youth group. Yeah, playing Guitar Hero. And I was like, I really like the song Rebel Girl. Like, that's cool. Um, 
and then I got into Bikini Girl through that. Oh which my is gosh! Pretty subversive, I guess. What version of Rebel Girl was it? I'm not positive. Okay, I guess uh, it must have know. been the like Joan Jett. Yeah, yeah, produced it was definitely, version. Definitely the produced version, not the one that's on that first yeah. EP. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of an interesting, interesting thing. So we can kind of get into talking about just how they began forming the beginning of their history. So you can jump in whenever. They, all of these, all four of these people were art students at Evergreen State College in Olympia, Washington. And Kathleen Hanna was a photography major who had just faced a lot of criticism for her, like, feminist ideals, you know, in, with, like, in within college from professors or other people she was working with. So her and a few other women opened the Reco Muse Gallery in the late 80s and kind of just started passing out flyers and talking to other women at shows or at uh, at school about, like, we want to get groups together to start talking about punk rock and feminism and organizing. And um, that's kind of how a lot of the people within the Riot girl scene met each other, uh, even outside the college. Yeah. And so they kind of uh, all formed, like, I think it was Toby Vale and someone else uh, were like, let's start a band. We don't know how to play instruments. Let's just do it. Um, and they got Kathleen Hanna as the lead singer because they were like, she's such like an enigmatic like front person. We can just like feel it. And she was. They started playing shows like in, in before the band officially formed, I guess, in the very early 90s. And um, Kathleen Hanna kind of just wrote songs in her Toyota truck, she said. And the very beginnings of the band are tracked in Toby Vale's uh, zine which is Jigsaw, and band zines and zines are a big kind of reoccurring thing we're going to talk about on this podcast, which we have in past episodes, but uh, fanzines were kind of the foundation of Riot Girl and how they spread information, and now it's cool that we have a documentation of all things happening in the like Pacific Northwest feminist punk scene at the time. And I so. would even just interject and say that fanzines were important to the punk rock movement. Way, oh, yeah. Like, even way before Riot Girl, right? Yeah, So they've been sure. integral, like, in music for decades, yeah. Yeah. Because of that, too, there's kind of a roadmap for how to utilize them mm-hmm. to get your message across, so they kind of, like, did that with their own yeah. thing, which is cool. Yeah. Um, so in Jigsaw, there's, like, a short excerpt where Toby Ville is just kind of talking about, like, like the manifesto they all like wrote their own manifestos for what they wanted this band to be and um so she's writing about like practicing with them and she uh this is an entry from october 21 1990 i believe and she was like a feminist to me means trying to confront sexism and be powerful I think I'm changing. I'm going to ask questions now instead of tell everybody everything. And her statement of intent for the band Bikini Kill is um, to provide support and guidance to the youth with modern punk rock disabilities and to reclaim the domain of punk. Isn't that Um, amazing to have? They were so like forward thinking that they had a mission statement for their band. Yeah. It's really cool. It's really cool. Yeah, they had they went about this with I think more so than trying to start a band musically. They went about this as like which I think Kathleen Hanna may have said in the documentary or 
another interview where she was like, you know, I could like walk up to people and say, let's talk about feminism, or I could like yell it at them from a stage and they thought it was cool mm-hmm. and like wanted to care about it. Well, and Kathleen Hanna had a conversation with Kathy Acker, who was a feminist artist in the 80s, who told her, said, if you if you want to get your message of feminism across, you need to start a band. Like, that's what you should do. Don't try to be an artist. Go start a band. So, yeah. And she did. That's pretty cool. (laughs) Um, This is also all happening around the time that uh, kind of right before the third wave of feminism, which Riot Girl was a huge part of. Uh, So in the early 90s, there was this like feminism was dead idea floating around. And especially on college campuses, as any woman who's been to college at any time can understand that. Uh, when some kind of rhetoric like that is floating around, it's kind of hard to combat and hard to be around. So they kind of wanted to prove that wrong. Like they were living feminism. They were trying to learn about feminism. How could it be dead? Um, so that's that's kind of pretty cool. They all like wrote their own mission statement. They passed out in a zine so people knew and could hold them accountable um, and join in. So in 1991, They had been touring, playing a lot of, like, you know, basement shows around, especially the Pacific Northwest and Olympia, and they released their first EP in 1991 called Revolution Girl Style Now, and Toby Vale talked about this a little bit, and she she said that, like, the reason it's so roughly done and they just released it how it was it's like they wanted a girl to hear it and be like i can go make music and it kind of did that which we can we can and talk ian mckay recorded it oh cool i didn't know he recorded that one i thought it was just the ep the second one that's Mm-mm. cool no nice. he because yeah because nice. the first the revolution girl style now and yeah 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 yeah, yeah ep the split with huggy bear yeah. became the that the first two records yeah. right and, and Ian MacKay did the first half of it. Oh, nice. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So Ian MacKay from Fugazi, um, which I guess we can take a second and you might be able to speak more confidently on this than I can, but um, just kind of about the scene going on in the Pacific Northwest and in punk at this point in history in like the very early 90s, uh, kind of the other bands mm. going on. Like the yeah. grunge movement. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, there it was... I would say very male dominated. Um, grunge was, you know, getting kickstarted at that point. Uh, bands like Soundgarden, Nirvana, Mudhoney, and um, I know I know Kathleen Hanna has kind of cited a couple of. I don't know if they made might have had women in them around that time, but as far as there being girl bands in Olympia. At that time, there really weren't yeah. any, you know. So Bikini Kill, Bratmobile, they were, they were it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and and at that point in punk, a big a big thing which you kind of get the idea of with the mission statement, all that is that they wanted to reclaim these spaces, mm-hmm. uh, which they did. So they were kind of the only like bands with women in them or fronted by women at the time and uh I guess I guess we might go into that a little bit later but yeah it was like making a physical space for women was kind of a big deal at the time Mm -hmm. yeah so the next year they did the Bikini Kill EP which is uh also part of that you've probably heard the first two records or heard of of Bikini Kill 
and this is the first part, which was also produced by Ian McKay of Fugazi, and it was released on Kill Rock Stars, which is a pretty cool label that, I, I guess it's still around, but that when it was around at that time, based in Portland and Olympia, it was kind of like all the stuff I listened to in college 20 years later, which is like Elliot Smith and Bratmobile and Bikini Kill and uh, some early Nirvana stuff. So they were very much in this kind of scene of music, and it's kind of interesting to see how they evolved kind of next to all of those bands. So as far as the Bikini Kill EP, man, it's a really great record. Uh, (laughs) In Spin in 2012, Jessica Hopper, who is one of my favorite music journalists, she said there is punk before this album and after. Mm -hmm. And I really believe that. I think think it's a really underrated record. I mean, just the, the opening line that Kathleen Hannah says it is immediately it it catches you it catches your gut you know like um so I mean it's like from that like bullet that comes out of her mouth it doesn't stop for the entire record and then I in the past few days I've like listened to all three records back to back and there is a feeling that they captured on that you know, the C- CD release of the first two records, there's a feeling that they captured with those recordings that they were never able to recapture again. Um, anyway, yeah, it's um, just magic, you know? Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think this is also, um, before they really get into, you know, bigger touring and all this stuff, this is a point where there's still this newer band and I think it was surprising to people at the time when it came out that it was uh, like Kathleen Hanna specifically being a woman that was so like aggressive during shows and on these recordings. And like, you can really feel that when you listen to it. And uh, we were talking a second before we hit record on this, but about how just the first time you heard like this record or Bikini Kill. Um, I know when I I got really into Bikini Kill and so I was kind of getting my foot, you know, toes in the water with feminism and I had just kind of discovered the whole idea as I grew up in like a very conservative southern place that wasn't something anyone had ever talked about. I hadn't like heard the word uh, really until I was a teen. And then when I heard Bikini Kill, it was just like validation. When I heard the songs, I think specifically the first part of this record probably... I was like, wow, like I've, I've felt all these things and I've felt this angry and people have like told me it wasn't okay to be angry. And then I'm hearing this and it's like so refreshing. It's like a breath of fresh air. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think I I was in the eighth grade when I heard Bikini Kill for the first time. My best friend lived in a more like progressive household. So she had like spin and Rolling Stone and access to things like that, that I didn't. And so she heard a Bikini Kill brought like her Walkman to health class one day and um, I heard it and I was hooked hooked (laughs) from the second I heard it hooked I was like oh I have to do that that's what I'm going to do Um, yeah I think Kathleen Hanna has for me she has three three different voices she's got this guttural voice that she uses this uh, that's like masculine you know very low tones and then she has this the scream and then she has her baby voice yeah <laughs> this like seductress i it's it's it was so 
it was so interesting and yet it's all it's so melodic the way yeah. that she sings yeah and that that is cool about it it's like even like her like screaming or whatever I was like I I uh kind of punk was the only scene that was around when I was a teenager when most girls discover bikini killer whatever and so I'll, all I had to compare that to was like screamo or whatever and I'm like wow like she does make this like anger and this like literal like yelling like using like the muscles in her throat to yell whatever like melodic and it's like I want to listen to it mm-hmm. and so it is pretty interesting her her as a front woman is just really just admirable like yeah. all the interesting things she was doing and and you know and at that time so when I was in the eighth grade it was you know probably about you know 93 94 and you know everything that was on the radio there were not women that were playing this type of music it 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 blew my mind. I couldn't believe that I was hearing a woman sing these things, sound that way, um, that the band was made up predominantly of women. Toby Vale cannot be undercut as a great drummer. She is a great drummer. Um, she really, like, if they had not have had such a great solid drummer as Toby Vale, I don't know that Bikini Kill would have been as powerful yeah, as it I was. I totally agree with that. She's a, an amazing drummer. Um. Yeah. So. Yeah. Nice. Powerful stuff. <laughs> yeah. After they release that, it's the next year, and uh, they have this relationship going with Ian McKay, who's based in D.C., which is more of hardcore as opposed to grunge or generalized punk, I guess. So all of the people in Bikini Kill moved to D.C. for the summer of 1993. And they lived, or I don't know if they lived there, so they practiced and recorded in this punk house called The Embassy, which apparently now is like a Starbucks. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bummer. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> and, capitalism for you. Yeah. And so they moved to D.C. for the summer, and uh, it's kind of interesting here because they do bridge that like West Coast grunge punk sound that they are are making their own version of with like the East Coast hardcore, and they... Uh, record Pussy Whipped, which is their, uh, I guess, first real album, but um, once again on the the first two records CD that's also on there, um, and Ian McKay worked with them on that one. And it's kind of interesting because in the documentary, The Punk Singer, which is about Kathleen Hanna, she talked about this time briefly, and I don't know that they all had a great time in DC, but she was talking about how there was this kind of like power to the music happening around them because they were so close to the seed of power and how that affected her and made her even more of like an outwards like performer um because of that and when they were there that summer they opened for fugazi at a show in the national mall you know she's singing songs like suck my left one and like saying just these like phrases that to the outward people watching it seemed like crude or whatever but it's like she was trying to get their attention she's trying to upset them by saying these things because she had been told crude things her whole life and you know as all women have and so they got a really bad review in i guess the washington post and Mm -hmm. um she just started like a call for all right girls to have a media blackout Mm -hmm. after that uh which is so powerful like if you to me, like, when I learned about that, it sent the message, like, if you don't like the way people are receiving you, like, quit giving quit giving them any information, like, right, how really smart cool. that was. Yeah. But but I think, I think we're missing something here that we need to talk about real quick on how 
quickly the trajectory of Bikini Kill rose to like the fame. yeah during this yeah time, during exactly, I mean yeah. Courtney Love whole Sonic Youth like all all of those bands as the grunge movement was you know rapidly um, growing and becoming famous then all eyes tr- I mean Kathleen I mean this is this is the thing about feminism right I mean you, you Kathleen Hannah was a powerful um, attractive white woman and um, you know the media just loves to you know slap a pretty face on a movement right yeah. <laughs> and so um, she recognized what was happening she recognized that the media well I wouldn't I won't say just she but the band everyone involved with white girl was you know they were understanding like what was happening to this movement because of the media and so they called for a media blackout yeah yeah there was a lot going on during that time so they were friends with people like Kurt Cobain who was sort of an ally or whatever but they also were catching flack from like Thurston Moore Mm -hmm. and Sonic Youth and they wrote a song um, because they weren't only getting negative press from the press or from people heckling them at shows it was like other bands didn't like what they were doing because mm-hmm. they didn't play their instruments as well or they thought mm-hmm. their message wasn't necessary and there's some more wrote like a bad review of their band and they just turned it into a song mm-hmm. basically they wrote a song that was very simple stripped down and then they had um it was like spoken word yeah uh, they yeah. had spoken word which i can't remember her name from bratmobile um allison not allison well, the no. other one um Oh, man. Oh, no. Molly. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> uh, Molly from Bratmobile read his review about Bikini Kill over their live show, and that was even more, once again, than Was that Molly like, that was doing? Oh, yeah, I didn't yeah, know that. I didn't know that until recently, oh. yeah. Um, so that was even more so them being like, we don't care what you think, and we're going to play our music. And, like, that's kind of the point. If it makes you mad, like, you probably need to be, like, listening to what we're telling you. And so, you know, you can look back at these lyrics and like we spoke about a second earlier, it is very feminism 101 and like, you know, 20 years later, like there's a lot more to discuss there or that should be considered there that I could go on and on about. But like as a as a teen girl discovering that and I'm sure for people listening to it at the time that hadn't heard these very basic things, it, it really held power and really like affected people. Um, which is also part of their fame, you know, like they felt like when they got to DC, people finally got their message a Mm -hmm. little bit. Um, So after this time, they toured with the British rag girl band Huggy Bear in London, um, and they did a split album, which is Our Troubled Youth and Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. There's actually a documentary done about it, which I, I haven't seen, but it's called It Changed My Life, Bikini Kill in the UK. Have you seen it? I've seen clips, but I have, I've not been able to track it down. Yeah, it's hard to find. Big Huggy Bear fan. Nice. Loved Huggy Bear. Nice. So, yeah, after that, uh, they are getting much more famous. And, like, they they stand out beyond, you know, the other bands in the grunge scene or whatever. And Joan Jett from The Runaways, like, catches on to what they're doing and wants to produce two songs for them. And she did Rebel Girl and New Radio, which were previously released on other things but she did like a really well produced version which is probably uh if you've heard any of their songs it's probably these so that's pretty cool and in the documentary Joan Jett talks quite a bit about like Kathleen Hanna's influence and uh things like that and that I don't know if you've seen Joan Jett's recent 
documentary about her life. I haven't yet. But it's very good. Um, and Kathleen Hanna is in it. Nice. And Perfect. they even, there's, you know, a little segment in there that they talk about when Kathleen and Joan Jett hooked up. And it's pretty wild. Yeah. It's pretty wild stuff, man. Joan Jett. What a lady. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. <laughs> yes. Um so after that, they only put out one other, like, record, which was in 1996 before they broke up, which was, which was Reject All-American. And then after that, the singles was released, which was basically all the songs and singles re-recorded, you know, whatever that they hadn't released came out. And since then, there have been reissues, actually very recently, mm -hmm. uh, reissues of things. Um, so that's really it for the discography part, but... So as far as the, actually the singles, I'll talk about that for a second. Um, so I think also a lot of people that maybe got into Bikini Kill years later, like myself, when I was at the right age to kind of receive this message <laughs> and get into music, you know, the singles and stuff is what was available, is what was being reissued at that time. And a cool thing that Jen Pelly uh, said in Pitchfork about this record was um, if a person in your life wants or needs Bikini Kill, wants or needs proof that punk can seek justice and thrills at once, that feminist rock and roll can be palatable without being formulaic, that protest music can be unflappably cool, give them the singles first. Which I think is interesting. It's a really good way to get into the band. I've in never listened to it. Really? Mm -mm. Wow. I'm just, I, I don't know, like a diehard, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Just those three records are. I, it's like I can't go beyond yeah, that. Yeah, for sure, for <laughs> sure. I feel that. Um, but they, I don't know, they are they are pretty interesting. So I kind of want to talk for a minute just about the way they carved out a space in music for women, particularly the live setting. So there was this kind of catchphrase at their shows that was girls to the front, um, which has been repurposed for many things in the past years. Mm. But for them, it was, like we were talking about earlier, there were mostly male fronted bands and male music fans, and this was them, like, trying to physically reclaim space uh, at their shows from violence uh, against women. So sometimes they would chant girls to the front, and sometimes, like, Kathleen Hanna would, like, dive into the crowd to, like, protect women fans. She talks about kind of an irony of their shows, which kind of towards the end of their breakup kind of became an exhaustive thing for all of them because they had a lot of people, you know, on the front rows, these women that were like relating to the lyrics and singing them back. And then like in the back of the shows, these men like throwing beer bottles mm -hmm. at them and like who only showed up to the show to like be angry and like ruin the whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, but they did make a lasting impact I believe, in, like, girls having a space, because Kathleen Hanna now, um, I saw her live in 2016, I believe, at Wrecking Ball Fest with the Julie Ruin, her latest project, and she, she was talking about how, like, she was like, I don't say girls to the front anymore, because you're already at the front, like, we don't necessarily mm -hmm. need that, let's move on to the next thing, right. but it's cool, because at the time, that was a that was a thing I guess I mean that's that's what we were talking about before I mean how you know third wave was just taking off you know during the early 90s and so it was a, it was kind of a watered down version of feminism I mean it was just the foundational aspects of feminism to because you have to start you have to start with the basics and then you can move on to the complexities 
And so, yes, yeah, since she's exactly right, it's like there's their feminism is very complex. And so, yes, but you have to start somewhere. And that's that's what Bikini Kill did. They they kind of they gave you the foundation yeah. of feminism. Yeah, I think and I think, yeah, specifically for a lot of people in music, too. Yeah. Um, it was just it was in this palatable way of delivery that like you know you can sit and read books or watch documentaries but then when you like feel an emotionally charged song and you're listening to it even like for me decade a decade or two later like it's it's a it's a different form of delivery that goes a bit deeper I think of like the basics that you need to know to get elsewhere And and that was the thing like for me Bikini Kill was a stepping stone because through Bikini Kill I found out about feminist writers and feminist poets, and then that propelled me into a world of, of feminism that yeah. I never, and it was, I mean, it was literally because of Bikini Kill that I found any feminist writer. Um, that's, that's a hard, that's a hard thing to do, yeah. you know? I mean, it's, that movement is was so important, and and Bikini Kill had to happen, you know? Like, we needed Bikini Kill to happen. It it was, it had to happen. Yeah. So. Um, that's actually, uh, I mean, I totally agree with that. I feel like I, like, like, even though it wasn't at the time it was happening, like, Bikini Kill was so essential to where I knew the basics of feminism of, like, Gloria Steinem or whatever. But when I got into Bikini Kill, I found everything that came after that mm-hmm. and, like, everything from like cyborg theory to like female music journalist mm-hmm. and stuff and that like I mean cha- that changed my life like yeah. I like found this side of feminism that was like what I wanted to be thinking about mm-hmm. and like diving into and it kind of changed my view of things and what I could do and who I could be well because of a third wave you started having women's studies majors at colleges yeah. I have so many friends that majored in women's studies and feminism in college you know um and you know now they're social workers and yeah it's it's important it's pretty cool yeah and yeah someone said that in the um in the documentary they were talking about like bikini kill really did have to happen for all these other things to happen um and it was like she said it had to happen or else we all would have starved to death culturally yeah and i just love that quote Tam- so much tammy ray carlin yeah. said yeah. that yeah um which i don't know i think it's true because uh I don't know for me it was like going back to like when I discovered them and I think especially in college when I really took it to heart and got into them is like I was just surrounded by like like men were all in bands and like I was told like I I don't know I was I was almost afraid to uh share my thoughts on that or whatever and I never I never found an artist quite like Kathleen Hanna that inspired me to like share my own things as a woman Mm. um I I had like written journalistic articles but I had never uh when when I was I guess a sophomore in college I never like shown anyone my poetry or my art or any of that that I had been like or songs I had written in my room for like 10 years and uh when I got really into Bikini Kill like I guess my second wave getting into them when I really understood it and soaked it all in I it inspired me for the first time ever to like make zines and I started like making zines about my like dissatisfaction and I like started a band in college where it was like kind of like riot girl style because I really like um I would say Patty Smith is a close second but like I'd never been so inspired to be like wow like I can do that even if I don't think I'm great mm-hmm. at it like popular music yeah was so aggro 
there had to be an antithesis to that. Um, and I mean, I was the same way. Like, I mean, you know, when I found Bikini Kill, you know, there was also Hole there. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, yeah, I mean, Hole was probably the most, you know, popular yeah. female fronted, you know, band at the time and like in mainstream radio and music. Um, but that still seemed unattainable. It was like, well, you can't, you can't beat Courtney Love. Yeah. You know, but you heard Bikini Kill and you were like, I could do that. Yeah. And, and I locked myself in my room and I taught myself to play Bikini Kill songs yeah. and then started a band. And the first songs I ever played on a stage in front of people were Bikini Kill songs. Oh, that's awesome. That's <laughs> at really my, cool. you know, backwoods high school in, you know, Franklin, Tennessee and like, near farms and I stood up there and sang songs like Liar and <laughs> Double Dare <Ya. laughs> I can't believe I didn't get suspended. <laughs> that's really great though. I, I think <laughs> like that's the story I've heard from a lot of people though is that whether musically or like in other ways like you hear a band like this and it's just like the first time you've heard something and you, you're just inspired like you like have to do something yeah. and um, I don't know. It's just wow. like inspiring yeah. in all these like small, small ways that are really important at the end of the day. Yes. Um, yeah. I guess we can talk about maybe some like specific songs if you don't want to go into that. Yeah. Sure. Cool. Yeah. Should we just kind of go album by album, you think? Um, yeah, talk that about, works. Yeah. yeah. For Well, I feel like we have to talk about Double Daria. Oh, yeah. Just because that's, that's important. <laughs> we have to talk about Double Daria. Yeah. We're Bikini Kill, and we want revolution, girl style now. I mean, that is... Just, like, gives, like gave me goosebumps, yeah. I think, like, the first time I heard it. Like, oh, I yeah. Want, yeah, I just, like, revolution girl style now. Like, let's do it our way. Like, we're tired of waiting around. It's legendary. Yeah. That really line is. is legendary. It's iconic. Yes. <laughs> um, I think this song is kind of, like, kind of throwing everyone's criticism back in their face because the, the verses are, like talking about th like things men have told them you get so emotional like don't talk out of line i heard kathleen hannah talk about bikini the way she wrote in bikini kill um i think she summed it up very well where she says that she was writing songs to men and she was allowing women to witness her singing these songs to men yeah to like this like f like yeah. a theoretical the, like yeah. male patriarchy or yeah the patriarchy yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah um so that's kind of what that that is a good premise to like speak about before we go into songs um because that's kind of what this is and then like in the course she's like i double dare you to like do, do what you want mm -hmm. like d like quit listening to this and like as basic as that seems in 2019 like that was a big deal like um she's like i double dare you to like you know cry out loud and like have emotions and do what you want to do um and to have that as like the first song on that record which is now the the first two records cd man it's just like right off the bat like getting into like let okay let's like talk about this like mm -hmm. let's get into it it's a really powerful song i think i mean hearing her say rights rights you do have rights when i heard that i was like i have i have rights. yeah <laughs> yes yeah, I don't have to do everything that my father tells me to do. Yeah. I don't have, you know, I don't have to conform to this way of being a woman. Yeah, I think so. I think that's a good song of, like, the anger being channeled. And there's no, you know, it's just, like, women, I don't know, growing up, like, in the South or whatever, you're, like, you're not supposed to be angry. And, like, I literally, like, 
you know, like, people have, like, told me that, like, oh, you're, like, an angry feminist or whatever, and then I, like, find this, and I'm, like, oh, my God, like, I'm allowed to be angry, and I'm allowed to cry, and I don't have to do this, I don't have to do that, and I have my own rights, and, like, whatever, like, it's, like, so affirming, Mm -hmm. it's really cool. She, I mean, she has a line in the song, you get so emotional, baby, which I'm pretty sure I just heard that the other day like somebody just said that to me again the other day yeah it is something a woman will carry with her her entire life and emotions will always try to be beat out of women um and it's uh and and the members of bikini kill were they were so young they were in their early 20s and they were dealing with these you know very big theoretical philosophical you know ideologies and singing about them and writing about them in a way that translated um to you know very layman you know terms yeah and I think that's that's just so important like Mm -hmm. everyone needs that right you know well, it's um, a mark of a good writer, yeah, right? True, true. Like, uh, we've t- we've kind of talked about the, that before too, with like pop music. Like, I think a good mark of pop music is just understandable lyrics that mm-hmm. are still like relatable. That pack a punch, and mm-hmm. like she she's kind of a good example of that. Maybe not in the pop sense, but just as a songwriter, that she can take these giant ideas that, like, especially at the time, a lot of people were trying to figure out what mm-hmm. they meant, and like at least put it into a way that like for the moment or for the people listening to it makes sense mm-hmm. it's really powerful do you want to talk about feels blind or oh, should we boy. not go there yet i think we should do okay feels blind. <laughs> um so feels blind is uh i think a lot of people's one of their favorite bikini kill songs and i know for me this was a huge one for me that made me really realize the impact of bikini kill and I want to pull up the lyrics to discuss this one. I want to just say, because my, I think my favorite Bikini Kill lyrics are in the songs, especially for me as a 13-year-old hearing this for the first time. Um, and they are, as a woman, I was taught to always be hungry. Yeah, women are well acquainted with thirst. Well, I could eat just about anything. And we might even eat your hate up like love. Oh, yeah. That's poetry. It is. That, like, that's what... Uh, I, that it makes me... I get to your... I mean, same. It's, it's, like, emotional. I think those are probably my... Probably some of my favorite Bikini Kill lyrics, too. And that's, like, when I made my first zine, it was called Hungry, like, based on that really? line. Really? And uh, because that's a theme people are still singing about. Like, mm-hmm. Mitski has lyrics about that. Right. And, and uh, Bratmobile and Patti Smith mm-hmm. and uh, Sleater Kenny. Like, Hunger Makes Me a Modern Girl by mm-hmm. Carrie Brownstein. Mm-hmm. Um and it's like, man, like, I do feel that hunger, like, whatever. And I think this especially is kind of poetry. And so I have Hunger Makes Me a Modern Girl right here by Carrie Brownstein. And so she talked about hearing uh, the song um, Feels Blind for the first time mm. and how, like, she was – so she talks later about how she was really glad Bikini Kill kind of came first before Sleater Kinney. So she, like, had someone to look up to and then they could – go from there whatever they kind of did the hard work of being a woman band and uh not not that Sleater Kinney did because they did a lot of great stuff but uh so she here's like the excerpt from the book is uh she says I remember being deeply struck struck by the lyrics look what you have taught me your world has taught me nothing and then the lyrics you just said 
And she said, to me, that perfectly summed up being a young girl. It was the first time someone put into words my sense of alienation, the feeling that all these institutions and stories we've been taught to hold as sacred often Mm. had very little to do with my own lived experiences. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's like exactly how I felt. I know. And I also want to say, because I think this is a theme in many Bikini Kill songs, we might even eat your hate up like love, the nonviolence that that. Bikini. It was aggressive yeah. but nonviolent. Yeah. So it was like we're we're going to do this the right way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing this out of love. Yeah. And it's just I like encourage you to look up the lyrics because it's beautiful and listen to this song. But I just remember like I mean I think I cried when I first heard the song. So it's like when she's like, How does it feel? It feels fucking blind. And it's like I I just related to that. I was like, Oh my god, like yeah, I feel like I've been walking around blind because like I'm sitting here and I'm supposed to relate to all of these like like male artist and like and especially in college for me like this music scene that's like all dudes all the time and like I'm alienated if I don't participate in that and like maybe I don't relate to the Beatles and Radiohead as much and then like to have an artist that like says that and then I can relate to her Mm -hmm. wow yeah crazy Uh, but this is just like a perfect song I mean the first verse of this song is just really beautiful Uh, you could write a thesis on this first verse (laughs) yeah i don't think she ever wrote anything more poetic than this first verse i think this is where did that come from i know were you on drugs when you wrote this yeah i don't know because it's so different than her other stuff but not that any of it is less less good or less highbrow or whatever but it really is just so just the metaphor there all the doves that fly past my eyes have a stickiness to their wings in the doorway of minded eyes i stand encased in the whisper you taught me yeah and like wow like i remember hearing that me like that's what like being a woman in the south or just a woman in general has felt like like i've just been fed all of this stuff my whole life and Mm -hmm. i'm like still hungry for something i don't know what it is um and i feel like yeah like all these doves i'm saying like there's a stickiness there like i can't get as high as i want i can't you know, get where I want to be. Oh, man. Yeah. It's a beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful song. It's good. Um, it's still, yeah, it's still a pick-me-up for sure. And also the the lyric, uh, if you were blind and there was no Braille, there are no boundaries on what I can feel. Like, yeah. Uh, it's, yes. It's so great. Kathleen <laughs> Hannah. I know. She's amazing. Yeah, so we can come on to some others <laughs> from there, but that just really, that song is so important. Like, if Bikini Kill did anything, like, just them writing that song, I think, affected, I mean, affected Carrie Brown scene, affected yeah. us. I know, you know, a lot of women I've talked to that are, like, into Bikini Kill, that's, like, something I mean, maybe the greatest feminist song of all time. Yeah, I think Definitely so. Definitely in um, the running top five. Yeah, in Pitchforks, uh, it was, like, the story of feminist punk in 33 songs. Oh. Which is yes, a great article. It is they, so great. They put it out a lot. I just have I, that bookmarked. And yeah, I just refer yeah. back to it. Yeah. They put it out a lot, like, on social and stuff, because I think it's been popular since it came out in 2017, but they put that song on there. They kind of put, like, a song from, I guess, each year up until yeah. the 90s or something like that, or through the 90s, and uh, that Feels Blind was the Bikini Kill song on yeah. there, and I was, like, perfect. Like, yeah. that's, like, a great feminist song of, uh, man, it's just so important. <laughs> yeah. Definitely one of the greatest. Yeah, I think so. Talked about Thurston Hearts the Who, which is pretty pretty cool. White Boy was a big one for me too. Yeah, just because I um I think they also Bikini Kill was really good at um, tongue in cheek, mm-hmm. um and, and White Boy is a little tongue in cheek to me. Just White Boy, don't laugh, don't cry, just die. That was 
like my anthem when I was <laughs> in like yeah. beginning, you know, middle school and I mean, junior high and high school, um, used it all the time, yeah. wrote it on walls everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I loved it. Yeah. White boy. <laughs> my favorite line from white boy is I'm so sorry if I'm alienating mm. some of you, your whole fucking culture alienates me. And mm. she says that from the stage at these white boys that she's like in college with or in the music scene with and like that line like is always as tongue-in-cheek as it all is like that stuck with me like you know because I think every woman who's a teenager college age like you talk you try to talk about your feelings or feminism or whatever and maybe the people around you are like oh I don't want to hear about that I can't Mm -hmm. relate to that Mm -hmm. or I remember showing friends bikini kill and them being like well I don't get it and it's like well that's not that's because it's not made for you for once like everything you do seems to alienate me so like let me have this Mm -hmm. you know that it's a great line oh yeah I mean remembering and and Riot Girl was there was such a division because you know my male friends or you know like my boyfriend at the time or whatever couldn't stand it you know couldn't stand her you know the voices of these right girl bands, the lyrics, and yeah, it wasn't made for them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But it was hard as like a young woman to reconcile that too. Yeah, I think so. Cause you want something, you want it to be like, I want you to get it. I want you to get it in this medium. And like maybe they won't because it wasn't, it wasn't made for them. It mm-hmm. was her like talking to this theoretical white male and it was for women to like relish their own anger mm-hmm. in and relate to. And, um, yeah, I definitely, I remember that in college when I was getting into them and like had a radio, had a radio show called Curb Stomp Radio where I played <laughs> all this kind of stuff. And like my guy friends just being like, well, I don't like female voices or whatever. And then I was like, maybe I should hang out with these people. Like you obviously have to like female, vo- you know, air quote female voices because it's yes. like over half of music. Like, I don't know. That's a lame excuse. Boy, um, we could just talk about that all day We long. could. We could do a whole, whole podcast on that. The female um, voice. Yeah, that's a that's a bad excuse. <laughs> um, I really like Don't Need You. I think that's mm-hmm. one of the, I mean, a lot of them are angry. That's one of the angrier ones where she really gets into like, I physically don't need you talking to a man. Like mm-hmm. she doesn't need you for sex or your opinion or whatever. And on stage she would make like, you know, ex- expletive motions singing that song. And it made people so mad, I think. Um it's a really good song, though. Yeah, I, I also want to say that um, Bikini Kill was also kind of an introduction to sex for me, too. Oh, that's an interesting view um, on it. Because yeah. she was, I mean, she was talking about a lot of sexual acts Yeah. Um, that, you know, as, you know, 13, 14 year old, you're getting teased about a lot, you know, at school, you know, boys are like telling, you know, calling you all kinds of names and, you know, telling you, you know, whatever, um, just, you know, being vulgar and crass and to hear her sing about sex um it taught it really did teach me a lot about sex yeah yeah that's cool I mean I think that's a cool way to learn about it because she did talk about like the lack of female pleasure Mm -hmm. or like like sexual abuse and sexual assault so I mean that's pretty interesting I feel like I definitely came into it later but um, wow, that I mean, that's cool. not, That's kind of an yeah. empowering view Absolutely. to learn about yeah. sex from, and, as opposed to and the to traditional. And to not feel realm. ashamed yeah. of not wanting to do those acts as a young girl, um, or feeling, um, you know, feeling sexual feelings and not, you know, being ashamed of them. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, sexuality in general is a cool kind of theme with Bikini Kill because it's like she would play shows in like nothing but like a like a bra that she had thrifted mm-hmm. or something. And so it's like Kathleen Hanna was like a in a way a sexual icon because she was like an attractive person and, uh, you know, made these like movements on stage or whatever. But that wasn't the point. She was also empowering and also in the way that like you can be. Like, for me, it was, like, I can wear pink Doc Martens and my, like, glitter every day and still be angry and mm-hmm. still have all these feelings. I don't have to, like, be a typical punk mm-hmm. rocker. I don't have to look like right. that to feel that way. Right. And that, that was a big thing for me, too, discovering her. Yeah. I was like, oh, I can be, like, girly and I can still be really mad. Oh, there can be many layers. <laughs> yeah, like, to, I, there's I don't a duality have, to being a woman. I don't have oh, to be God. traditionally feminine. I can, like, do whatever I yeah. want. And I, that's a cool thing about Kathleen Hanna. She, like, used her sexuality to give this message while also giving another message mm-hmm. of duality, yeah. which was a thing that's hard to grasp mm-hmm. as a young girl. And I you're re- told otherwise. Yeah. I remember when I learned that she was a stripper you yeah. know, to put herself through college. And I was like, oh, my God, Kathleen Hanna was a stripper. Wait, no, this can't be. And I was like angry about it. And um, but then I realized, well, y- women can use their bodies and whatever way they want to use their bodies yeah which is a lyric i don't know i can't remember what song but she's like i can sell my body if i want Mm -hmm. to you know but yeah that's all you yeah yeah that's a cool that's a cool thing too because i remember finding out about that and luckily you know now and i guess fourth wave feminism like sex worker rights are like a Mm -hmm. huge thing that we're talking about as as a culture and um and me kind of being introduced to that idea as I think a lot of people were very recently past five, 10 years and, um, being like, okay, well, Kathleen Hanna was a stripper and that doesn't make her a bad person. And it doesn't make her not a feminist. Like it just means she was like doing what she wanted with her body. And like, we already live under capitalism. Why not? Like she had to do what she had to do. Exactly. So that, that was a cool, uh, kind of a cool like thing to help mm-hmm. helped me reconcile with like okay this is an idea I want to back mm-hmm. and like I do believe in that right. or whatever yeah I like I busted in your Chevy window which is maybe more spoken word what is that have you it's on the first two records I busted oh, in your Chevy window yeah. Oh. yeah yeah um so it's kind of like an interlude spoken word thing but I like that because she she talks about like I couldn't hurt your weapon which was your mouth but I could I could break your car window she's talking about like a cat color she's like I can break your car window so you're not protected from the world like mm-hmm. I can't hurt you I'm not gonna be violent mm-hmm. but like I can like hurt what you own mm-hmm. I can hurt your material possessions <laughs> and take away your power through that <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> um and that's like when I saw her with the Julie Ruin, she kind of uh kind of had that same attitude. She told a story of like walking in New York like recently at the time and how this guy was like, you know, doing things in front of her on the street and then he called her a bitch for like telling him to stop and she's like I am a bitch everybody say it I am a bitch and I was like okay that's like the same thing like that's like she is not changed like that attitude's still there and that was cool to me the like parallel between that song and like that like antidote she told uh during the show interesting um, was pretty cool anyway I mean rebel girl I think is I don't know. We didn't really talk yeah, about we, it. Yeah, we should go into that one. I mean, that's probably their most popular song because there is, like, the Joan Jett-produced, like, version of it, yeah. which is just a really great song. That was the first Bikini Kill song I'd ever heard, so. <laughs> so does that mean... Okay, so Rebel Girl shows up on the first two records. It shows up on Pussy Webbed, and then 
there is a Joan Jett produced version of Rebel Girl. There are three versions of Rebel yeah. Girl floating out there in the world that we know of. <laughs> That's wild for punk rock. That is, yeah. That and, really and to is. like hear them side by side. <laughs> yeah, that is it's, interesting. You can kind of see the evolution of the band too as they gain fame and like, you know, they're starting out very rough cut of it to a Joan Jett produced mm-hmm. version of it that's like considered a great rock song like in just in general you know Hmm. but yeah rebel girl is just a story about like a rebel girl it's like a theoretical like you know people call this girl a slut or a dyke and she's like no like she's my best friend like she's part of the revolution like we're all in this together kind of idea was spoken girl love i mean and especially i mean you know when you're a young woman your female friendships are everything oh yeah yeah. Every you're in love with your friends, yeah. and and Bikini Kill did a really good job of, um, you know, singing about that that love and how important female friendships yeah. are. And I I feel like I still feel that as a twenty three year old or whatever. Like I want I don't know. I feel like I play like I'm definitely like a girl's girl or wh- mm-hmm. however you would say it. Like I definitely place those friendships with like the utmost yeah. importance. And it is a song about that. It's really cool. It's like don't you know like. Um, you know, come be my best friend. Like we're rebel girls. Uh, it's really cool, and it's it's cool that that ended up being one of the more popular songs because I think it's, uh, you know, it's not angry. It's not talking to like a man or whatever. So maybe like people can get into a bikini kill through the song because it's like a more like, you know, like a rock song, mm-hmm. I guess, uh, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Would you consider Bikini Kill to be a queer band? I, I've kind of thought about this. I don't even know how to, like, answer. Because I feel like Rebel Girl, in, in a sense, is, um, could certainly be interpreted as, you know, queer love, you yeah. know. Um, but I, I definitely know people, would, I mean, as far as I know, they were all straight. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I, I guess they were all straight. But I think it also is a... I mean, there's so many great queer bands now that are, like, have the platform accessibility to be open about it, I think. And I think Bikini Kill at least helped impart in that. And then... Well, I think, I mean, queer rights, women's rights, it was was all all entangled. So you couldn't, Um, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing, is that you can't separate queer rights and and women's rights. And you can't separate, like especially in something like punk rock you can't separate that and there were a lot of like queer people that looked up to Bratmobile, Bikini Kill, whatever so I think uh I I would maybe consider them like a kind of a queer band because of of the just the subject matter at hand I mean that's like saying saying feminist band you know which now is kind of a different thing but it's like inherently if you're all feminist and you're in a band you're technically a feminist band Mm -hmm. and so i i I feel like it's kind of the same thing there yeah um i feel like queerness at least is discussed or or um validated through Mm -hmm. some of their songs you know looking back on the right girl movement though and this was an issue that i took up with feminism as kind of i started to delve in it more into it more um and looking back now, being older, looking back on the Riot Girl movement, how whitewashed it was. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, you had to, um, 
you know, have some level of privilege to even have access to this movement um, and to this music. And I don't know that it was necessarily made for women of color. Um, and so I think we have to just like recognize that. Oh, as, for sure. You know, when yeah. we're talking about this yeah. um, as two white women that are talking about the yeah. right girl movement, um, that it, yeah, it was... Um, started co-founded by white women made for white women yeah and that's kind of why it disbanded towards the end which almost in a good way you know that's like what fourth wave i think tackles a little better even though we have so so long to go such a long way to go um but yeah it was it was very like white women oriented as the scene was white male oriented or whatever so as the um, first and second waves were yeah as well <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah. it's kind of like we talked about like you have to have a starting point but i think they did i mean i know kathleen hannah in interviews has like recognized that and that that is like one of one of the things is that even though it was inclusive to a new audience there's still all of these people that weren't and absolutely i think part of that has to do with like you know, they're playing a show in Portland or whatever, it's probably mostly white people showing up to a punk show or whatever, but it's like, you know, no one else would ever know about it if it's not made for them once again. You know, like, it wasn't made for men, but it also wasn't made for these other people. So that is something to kind of think about. But, I mean, I think it was a good starting point given that, but it is cool that now music is a lot more Mm self-aware of that, um, even in punk scenes and local scenes and stuff like that. that. I'm noticing that in like local punk scenes that it's way more inclusive than it was when I started going to punk shows and yeah, yeah, just it's recognizing cool to see a change. That. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I I even think from like college house shows to like going to like shows at Dark Matter mm-hmm. now it's very much more inclusive and yeah. like that makes me so happy and yeah. like as far as creative projects in Nashville, for the scene I can speak to, it's much more inclusive and. Um, yeah, but I don't know. It was a starting point, but, you know, like, you know, like we were saying, first and second wave feminism were, like, it kind of carried on with that. Um, but I think they did recognize it, and that's why at the end of the day, like, Riot Girl was like, okay, well, we have to move on to a new thing mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Yeah. Should we move on to Pussy Whips, or do you want to talk more about Um, yeah, we can move on. We can. It's a lot of good ones. I mean, I might say that this is my favorite bikini kill record yeah i think it's a good one it's a good like cohesive record because it was their first one that wasn't like it was their first record yeah Yeah. um so and considering they didn't put out you know a ton of music or whatever yeah i think this is a great record it's uh man it's really good (laughs) i really like magnet that was what i was yeah that was the song i was gonna point out you hold me down like a magnet I've got the love that's strong and not weak. Again, nonviolence. Um, yeah, you don't own me. Fuck you. You don't own me. You hold me down like a magnet. That is, yeah, that's a. It's so simple, but it's like you don't own me, and that's like a revolutionary thing to say. I think not only at the time they wrote the song, but for. Any young woman listening to it, I know when I listened to it and I was 18 or whatever, you don't own me, fuck you, you don't own me, mm-hmm. like, is like, okay, like, no one owns me, not, you know, like, that's like a, as a woman growing up or whatever you are, kind of, like, you feel like, feel like that, mm-hmm. so that, that's a pretty cool statement, um, yeah, and yeah, the, the nonviolence is a cool a really interesting theme throughout that is, and maybe a lot more songs than I even noticed. Um, 
I just think it's an interesting juxtaposition because when she's singing this, she is screaming it, but she's talking about love. Yeah. You know? It uh, is. Yeah. But that that's, like, what we talked about, the duality. Uh, I mean, I think, I think that is cool because, like, you can still be angry and not be violent, and you can right. still be angry and feel love for another, you know, for, like, other women or whatever, and you can still be angry at someone. So it is cool that she's, like, yelling, but about love. So it's, but like, get that the time, message. Yeah, it's, like, like at that time, on. you had to scream it. Yeah. There was, like, I have to yeah, get like, my fucking message Like, across. literally, physically, she had to scream for people to, like, yes, pay attention pay to attention. her. And, yeah. and I think that's, that's kind of interesting in, like, other podcast research I've done. There's kind of been the theme with, like, when it comes to, like, figurehead people, it's, like, they have to become, like, a character or they have to become this like a loud person for people to take them seriously they have to be completely the opposite right. you know right and I feel like Kathleen Hanna is a good example of that like she had to get on stage with like not a lot of clothes on and like yell and like stage dive and kick men out of her mm-hmm. shows and then they got it like mm-hmm. it's like okay like mm-hmm. you do have to be totally ridiculous for people to take you seriously yeah and then it was like this is fucking exhausting we can't be a band anymore yeah i mean ex- that's exactly <laughs> take, why it took a toll on it them it really did take a toll on all of them it was like they were experiencing like like mental health and you know whatever issues because yeah like they were you a political were taking band. a burden of being a political band yeah. and um, and I don't want to discount, like, I know we talk about Kathleen Hanna a lot because um, she's, you know, kind of the figurehead yeah, of the But the band. other members, The too, other members were just so important. They yeah. were as, you know, if not more politically involved in the movement. Billy Karen is a great guitarist um, and did some great guitar work on a lot of these songs, especially... Um, you know, as you get into Pussy Whipped and Reject All American. Yeah, his um, skill increases mm-hmm, as well. You can yeah. definitely tell. Yeah. Um, which is cool. And, like, Kathy Wilcox and Toby Vale contributed to, like, a bunch of zines and art projects throughout the time mm-hmm. and were also just as, like, politically active. Yeah, I mean, Magnet is the song for me. Yeah, Magnet's Pussy Whipped. definitely my favorite song on there. Sugar, uh, I think I wrote down something about Sugar, too. Oh, well, Starbellied Boy... Starbellied Boy and Sugar, I just to come back to kind of the, you know, sexual undertones of Bikini yeah. Kill, um, talking, I mean, Starbellied Boy, there is a line, why do I cry every time I come? And then she repeats the refrain, I can't, I can't, I can't come. That, yeah, <laughs> y'all. No one's ever that. written a song like that. No one's, at this point, no one's ever written that yeah. in a song. Yeah. Female pleasure, female emotion, the intricacies of that. Why do I cry every time I come? I mean, she could be talking about trauma. I mean, it's that line is is, so many experiences like put into one line. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Um, which is really interesting. I think she really opened a door of like putting that in music because it really could mean so many things. And it, you know, yeah. I mean, they openly talked about like them or their friends or every woman they know having some story of trauma right and i think that's true today i i mean i have so you know everyone i know has at least some kind of story and um it could be about that or it could be about like societally like we don't teach men how to like pleasure women or whatever so that's like a cool song that she was like okay like yeah why do i cry every time i go like that's crazy Mm -hmm. that she put that in a song Mm -hmm. that's crazy yeah yeah and Um, sugar was the same way it's like pretty tongue-in-cheek like you know, oh, baby, you're, you know, you're so 
you're I want you you're so fucking hard you know whatever you're yeah. so fucking big you know that that whole thing and um but she's the song is about her talking about why this guy won't pleasure her like why can't, she can't get off yeah um yeah <laughs> again these were young women <laughs> yeah talking about I mean to even to be able to recognize that and you know I haven't heard Kathleen Hanna talk I haven't been able to find this maybe you know on what influenced her ideologies with feminism what inspired her to talk about these themes and I know that the you know one reason for her media blackout was because the media was talking about she was sexually assaulted um yeah. you know trying to pin all of these things on her and she made a big deal about you she know, wasn't like yeah. she was like emotionally right. abused and manipulated, yes. but she was not like assaulted yeah, or whatever by yeah. her father, raped um, by her father. But she knew many women that were. Yeah, and it. I it, think that a was collective a big, experience. Big thing was the collective experience that she she talks about in the documentary. Like she had a roommate who was like like assaulted in their own home. So she, I think a big part of maybe from what I can tell, because I don't truly know the whole reason behind her specific ideologies, which is interesting to look into and I would like to know, but um, was maybe that collective experience was like, okay, even if it hasn't happened to me, I know so many women that this has happened to. And I'm sure a lot of it came from like being a 21 year old woman talking with her friends about like, like your sexual experiences or your experiences with men and like having so much similarity Mm -hmm. I think and so I think a lot of it was like okay like even if this hasn't happened to me like it's happened to someone else and whoever's listening to it can relate to that Mm -hmm. because it's happened to them Mm -hmm. or whatever um so that's that's kind of an interesting uh interesting thing to think about and and I want to emphasize too how big of a deal it was in the you know when the early 90s happened when bikini kill happened when bratmobile happened when huggy bear happened that girls were playing rock music girls were playing punk music you know we've got we have the runaways before that we have the slits before that we have x-ray specs we don't have many examples the raincoats we don't have many examples at all and Bikini Kill, Slater Kenny, like the Riot Girl movement is the reason, one of the reasons why we do now, we're starting to see more females in rock music, yeah. in indie music, yeah. starting bands, fronting bands, being songwriters. Like, this is the timeline, you know? And I feel, I feel like we kind of... Um, you know, take that for granted a little for bit. For sure, it, like in the time we're in. Because that's like you think about it, a lot of people talk about how like when when there's a list from some old Rolling Stone magazine or whatever, it never mentions Joni Mitchell in the top 20 songwriters. Mm-hmm. And the reason a lot of women aren't mentioned in like when you talk about historical records, when you're first getting into music as a woman before you find stuff like this and you're like, okay the Beatles, the the Stones, the whatever happened in the 70s and 80s, because, like, a lot of women weren't invited to be making music, and they weren't given a place, they weren't given record deals, they weren't taken seriously. So, yeah, it is cool that, like, to see a change, like, after this, like, as society progresses, like, to, like, have these people come in, like, 
take the brunt of it and have bands like Cedar Kenny and Bikini Kill doing that and now now it's like you don't think about it you go to a show where it's like half women on the bill and you don't you know we probably do take that for granted but it is cool to think about that yeah. they like definitely Riot Girl like helped like set a precedent for like here's how music is going to be for from here on out and it's going to have women in it and you're going to like it or not because mm-hmm. uh, we have stuff to say right. and we're going to say it yeah. and like 20 years later women still have a lot to say and they're saying guess what yeah guess what yeah. Can 20 you years from it? now they're also gonna have a lot to say yeah i feel like reject all american is important because i remember hearing that record and you know now at this time i'm probably you know 16 17 i guess um and i remember he- i got this record like on vacation with my aunt and uncle that you know lived in Chapel Hill North Carolina and I had access to record stores and stuff and um, so I remember like listening to this cassette on my Walkman and I was like who is this band the production is so much different than all of the there are girl gang vocals all over this record there are guitar solos on the record um, one thing that I think is so fun and I'm so glad they did it. Um, Statement of Vindication and Finale is the same yeah. song with different lyrics. Yeah. I was just like, you're a fucking rock band now. Yeah. This is amazing. It. It but like also I move. kind of hate it, <laughs> yeah. too. Like, how dare you change? Yeah. You know? And that was the th- thing, too, about the Riot Girl movement and, and these bands, Bikini Kill, like, becoming so possessive of them. Um, and then, you know, t- in Girls to the Front, Kathleen Hanna is talking about during this time where they're being courted by major labels and how, you know, no one in Bikini Kill wanted to be on a major label. They felt, you know, it, you know, it was capitalist. The media was ruining the movement. This is not what they set out to do. Yeah, because they didn't even have like roadies, tour managers. Right. They were super Sleeping DIY as a political yeah. band dealing with all right. of that. On top of that, they had the stress of being they were broke. completely DIY. And yeah. Like, no money yeah, yeah. Anyway. they were broke they yeah. weren't seeing royalties from anything and how kathleen she just wanted to basically like take these labels for a ride and just see what she could get out of them and they recorded by a- every single major label you could think of could you imagine <laughs> if bikini kill would have signed to interscope records where they would be now yeah if if, crazy. if they would have trademarked or copyrighted the term riot girl yeah. The fact that they didn't do that because they wanted Riot Girl to belong to every woman is really important. It's like, really can't important. be understated yes. how like important the like open access to these ideals they sacrificed. Was. They did, for sure. In order to have to make sure that it was accessible and it kept to their mis- mission statement. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz it's it's especially during that time in the 90s it was so easy to sell out because Major yeah. labels were coming at bands like Bikini Kill with million dollar deals. Yeah. You don't see money like that anymore as no, an indie exactly. band. Yeah, and know? that was like a big because di- there wasn't maybe as much of a saturation as like famous indie bands. Um, so, yeah, it is cool that like from the start they made those mission statements and like kept to it like six, seven years later. And it's like. And they were like, we'll just break wild. up. Yeah. Yeah. They're in R.I.P., I just want to say, on Reject All-American, especially about Kurt Cobain. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, he did have a close relationship with him, and yeah, that is uh, that is pretty sad. I, I wanted to talk about the tidbit, and this is going off, you know, R.I.P. being about Kurt Cobain. 
Um, the fact that I, maybe it's a widely known fact oh, now. Oh, that smells that, like Teen Spirit thing? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. That, it is still cool. That Toby Vale and Kurt Cobain dated. Yeah. Um, and so during this time, Kathleen became, you know, pretty good friends with Kurt Cobain, and she spray-painted on his, apart- his wall in his apartment, Kurt smells like Teen Spirit, which is... I mean, to me, like, well, I mean, of course a woman came up with that. And, of course, a man (laughs) ran with it and then became, like, the biggest band in the world. (laughs) Right? But, I mean, that's, like, their biggest single. And Kathleen Hanna wrote that drunkenly spray-painted on his apartment. Those are Kathleen Hanna (laughs) words. Words, That's her phrase. And he built, Nirvana built an empire off of that. I mean, like... It's kind of classic. It's kind of a classic story. Classic (laughs) patriarchy, if you ask me. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. (laughs) It's really crazy. I mean, I don't remember reading anything about Kurt Cobain ever giving her, you know, lyrics or anything like any help. Yeah. To like, this was actually my friend Kathleen Hanna's phrase. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Bikini Kills music to me was the opposite of escapism. Because, you know, you think about popular music, mainstream music, how, um, you know, music can be this escape, right? Yeah. Pop music. But Bikini Kill was the opposite of that because they were in your face saying, you know, these very important messages, political, sexual, you know. Um, and I think that is a really important aspect of Bikini Kill. Yeah, I've not I've never thought about it that way. I really like that thought. Yeah, it really is like the opposite of escapism, which I think is why maybe people are like turned away from it or whatever because I think we all all use some music as that to an extent, but a lot of music you know is more powerful in that it doesn't give into that and that's that's exactly what Bikini Kill did. They were like this is reality. And this is a reality that we're not even talking about. Yeah. We're going to talk about it and we're going to talk about it really loudly. We're going to hold up a mirror to yeah. society and Yeah. Did you ever see the No Alternative Girls film that no. Tamara Davis, Mike D from the Beastie Boys, his wife made? Uh-uh. Um, That's cool. Yeah. And I remember seeing this when, you know, I was pretty young and Kathleen is on there, but she's wearing a ski mask. And I didn't know until I saw the Punk Singer documentary that she wore the ski mask because of the media blackout. She said, I'll be in this film. But you can't. And this film was like MTV played it. It was, uh, they did that. There's a compilation called New Alternative. Smashing Pumpkins were on it. There was a lot of singles that came out of that compilation. But um, yeah, Kathleen Hanna was on it. And I remember hearing her talk. I forget. I meant to watch it and remember what she was talking about but she was wearing a ski mask and I was just like what a badass <laughs> what <laughs> about really cool and then also um Kathleen Hanna being in the bowl in the heather video for Sonic Youth oh yeah I think was also yeah. a really big deal because that was a huge single for Sonic Youth yeah and it was like who is this like cute girl in pigtails bouncing around and you you know do your research and however you, you did in the 90s it's like it's Kathleen, Kathleen Hanna from Anna, Bikini Kill. Yeah. And I remember freaking out. I was like, that's Kathleen Hanna from Bikini Kill. She's in Sonic Youth video. <laughs> worlds are colliding. Well, that is... <laughs> <laughs> well, that is the kind of basics, a little bit more than the basics, about Bikini Kill. And hopefully it piqued your interest in Riot Girl in general and music beyond that. Thank you for being on the show, Beth. 
Thank you, Olivia. This was wonderful. Yeah, and thank you guys for listening.